Hello, good morning, good afternoon, good evening, whenever you're listening to your podcast. This is The Unsafe Space, and I am Keith Redmond, former Finnegal counsellor. I am joined, as always, by my beloved... Sarah Ryan, Fina Fall, former counsellor. And today we're going to speak to you about the ending of the lockdown. When we should end it now, when we should end it, why we should end it now, end it now. And also we're going to speak about the negotiations for the uh, the new government, the putative government between Fianna Fáil, Fine Gael and the Greens and how we're going to keep, uh, keep the loony Greens in check and uh, what it's going to do for Fine Gael and what it's going to do to Fianna Fáil. <laughs> um, but, so that's what we're going to talk about today. Um, so Sarah, say hello and tell us, tell us your, your tale of woe this week. Also we're going to talk about positives about the pandemic because... Positives. Okay. You've gotten into a fowler about the pandemic now because you've lost interest, right? And you think you know better than everybody else, and it's one of the more one of the more irritating parts of your personality. But I won't say most. I think it's fairly. So o- I think it's fairly obvious that there's there's more 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 at play here now than they're pretending at this point. But anyway, go on. What does that mean? Well, I mean, we now know that the coronavirus, the first registered case of COVID-19 yeah, we know. Okay. Well, was not are you February 29th. Are you suggesting there's a conspiracy? Well, no, I'm going to tell you now. This coronavirus shot no, in somebody's I'm, I'm neck with a tranquilizer you, shot by I'm the lone you, gunman on the grassy knoll. I'm going to tell you, February 29th is what tin we were all foil, told. Til, was tin the first, foil hat. February 29th is what we were told was the first case of coronavirus, COVID-19 in Ireland. And we've all been living with that as the fact. Now we discover, uh, the HSE have announced that there were intensive care patients on February 17th, nearly two weeks before that, who have now tested positive for COVID-19. The significance of that is that it means that COVID-19 was in Ireland two weeks even before that. In other words, they had to get it here. They weren't people who traveled here. They were actually people who were living in Ireland. Okay, come on, so, what's your point? So the start of February is when COVID-19 arrived in Ireland. Now, the importance of this, Sarah, is mathematical modeling. Because all of the predictions on how fast the coronavirus has spread in Ireland how fast it's likely to spread, how many people it's likely to infect, um, how obvious the um, infection rate is in the country, all feeds into mathematical and epidemiological modelling. And as a result of that, that's what they're making all of the assumptions on that are, that are locking us down and have these, these five phases of you know, releasing us back into the wild. All of it is based on these supposed facts that coronavirus arrived, the first case was February 29th, and blah, blah, blah. And it all turns out to be wrong, because it was in the country for a month before that. But is it not the case that it's just like... Uh, see, I don't know, like, you're more of a man of science uh, than I am, but is it not just that it's a novel virus, and we don't know, like... Do you know what I mean? We just don't know. Well, but I mean, I think we do know at this point. We know for a fact that, at the moment, we know the number of people who've died right it's about 1300 okay and we know that there's about 20 okay but you will admit that there's other countries that a lot more people have died and we're not 100 percent sure what the reasoning for that is right but hold on hold on let's talk about what we do know we know about 1300 people we We know about 1300 people have died okay and we know that only 100 of them are under 65 we also know that the um that about 22,000 people have tested positive so far. Now, that's only tested positive. We know that 80% of people who get coronavirus or COVID-19 would get mild to moderate symptoms and they never really get tested. So let's say that 20% of people presented for testing 
and these are the 22,000. I'm being very generous at that. That basically means there's 80 something thousand out there who were never tested and because they just got it. Like okay. And, but it also means something really important. We are assuming that we have a death rate of 1,200 people for 22,000. So we have this kind of notional death rate. In actual fact, it's 1,200 people for like 100,000. They think, Keith, but there's different stuff coming out all the time. Like what? This, like, okay, last week it was that uh, children were getting it. Then it was children weren't getting it. Children didn't infect. Children were showing up in hospitals in the UK. Like, there's different stuff coming out all the time. And the fact of the matter is that there was an absolute swarming of people into Italian hospitals. And the government is trying to avoid that happening here. Yeah, and they, and they have avoided it. And it has, that, that swarming hasn't happened outside Italy and Spain and, and, New, and York, New York. right? And China. No, well, it didn't really happen as much even in China. But what we, what we have found is that in other countries, northern European countries, right, Scandinavia, Germany, um, uh, the Netherlands, they haven't seen that. The UK is seeing a big increase in it, but other countries aren't. And Sweden is the obvious one that everybody wants to talk about because they didn't do the lockdown at all, an official lockdown. What they did do, it's not a blanket free-for-all, by the way, what they did do was they cocooned the elderly and the people who are vulnerable. And they told everybody else to engage in social distancing. And they But they're a different culture to us. Well, they're very them. refined people. They're not slobbering into each other's mouths down in the local pub. Like okay, their, their pubs are rubbish, I will give you that. But at the same time, they have not seen the enormous numbers. And Okay it, and this this me all of the the point of all of this there is it is all coming around to the idea that this is not as infectious a virus as we thought it was okay because it, it just couldn't be and it's not as fatal a virus as we thought it was because it just couldn't be so we now have a situation where we are basing our shutting down the economy we're basing our lockdown and we're basing the five stages of re-release on false numbers and that's why i'm saying that we, we should be accelerating the um the, the reopening of the economy and maybe they will Maybe they will, but like the information changes all the time. Nobody really knows, and this is all to keep things, like going for the moment. And to be honest, I'm just gonna take it that the, you know, chief medical officer understands this situation better than I do, and I'm not going to use, you know, I'm not qualified to have an opinion on that matter. Said nobody on the internet ever, and I'm not qualified to have an opinion on lockdowns and rates of infection and this and that because I read loads of different like ramblings of madmen on the internet so I'm not going to comment on it but the lockdown as far as I'm concerned like with you know various people that I know like being in vulnerable categories is fine by me yeah but meanwhile you're, you know your business is not shut down there are a lot of businesses out there people are terrified because they won't be able to reopen they're just not going to be able to reopen. If you look at the if you look at the pubs, they're being told you know see you sometime in August or September. Those guys you know are, are all in serious financial problems. I know restaurants, year, shops. I, I mean, there's, but there's, there's like the, okay, like I think if we go if we go like toe to toe on sad stories, the sad stories about people dying from COVID nineteen, and they're not all old, and they're not all like they're not all uh, they don't all have underlying health uh, conditions, and even if they did, so what? There's loads of families across Ireland now who are absolutely bereft after watching, you know, 
their funerals of people on a webcam or whatever. Right. And like, so the sad stories on both sides. They're very sad stories and I'm not undermining them or diminishing them at all. I mean, if you have lost somebody to COVID-19, it's an absolute tragedy for you. But I would say that 100 people, uh, sorry, 1,200 people dying is a horrible situation. But the flu takes out hundreds of people in Ireland every year. You're absolutely right. But we also have a flu jab and there'd be absolute mad chaos if we didn't. Yeah, and, and, you, and yet it's and still. You, and you, and for example, still takes out it. hundreds of people, but even you, with the flu jab. Okay, but we have something to reduce the numbers. We don't have anything to reduce these numbers yet. Well, we do. We have another strategy and the strategy that's being employed very well in Sweden, which is to cocoon the people who are actually vulnerable, the well, people who actually Sweden, end up dying. Then, because no, you've been moaning about this for two I'm weeks. I'm just telling you, the people who actually die should be cocooned and the rest of us should be released okay. into the and world. And then the odd 40-year-old who dies or 30-year-old who dies are tough. Just, that's a very, very small percentage. And I think you don't shut down an entire economy on the basis of a handful of people, 100 people under 65. You don't shut down a whole country because of that, no. Well, I disagree. Well, you're winning at the moment. So tell me your positives about COVID-19. What are the positives well, of the Well, I was going to say we got to spend loads of time with each other, but after your moaning for the last <laughs> few weeks about this, I, like, I cast my mind back. <laughs> Listeners, prepare yourself for a treat. If you've been watching Keith on Twitter and getting maddened by his ramblings, you're about to hear a really fun, exciting story about Keith getting his comeuppance from the universe. So we were in Malta. What is this now? Hold on. We were in Malta. Right. Many years ago, before we had children. And um, we were in this like kind of back alley, really high kind of like like a, a, a really high like a little alley that had like really apartments and like up above. Yeah, so the streets are very narrow and they're really kind of, narrow, like yeah. pedestrianized street where you're walking along these cobblestones and there's apartments and stuff above or whatever. Four stories. And we were having an argument in the street. Not like it wasn't night time; it was the day, and. Um, all of a sudden, mid-argument, the heavens opened and the universe provided for all of the women ever absolutely maddened and enraged by a man's annoying crapola that he's going on with. And he's arguing back and he won't listen and you're just absolutely, completely incensed with rage at him. The universe opened and God and everybody else smiled down upon me where what I presume and hope was a woman. It had to have been a woman. A vindictive Maltese far, housewife. A far vindictive above, Maltese housewife. Far above in an apartment, far above, <clears throat> throughout what could only be described as a bowl of ratatouille and it landed on Keith's head. Not an accident. As I was talking to him. It was a hate crime. <laughs> it was a hate crime is what it was. With onion and tomato running down its head in front of me. And it was... And I like I include the birth of my children, the most magical moment of my life. That was gender based violence. It was the most <coughs> magical. That was gender based violence. And every time you start going on one of your rants, I think about that moment and I play it over and over. I will again. find her. I will find that woman. <laughs> and I just think that that woman out there, she's she just has no idea. In fairness, she hit me from I, about three stories up. She I was doing well. Get she gave me a gift for the rest of my life. Like, I think about it all the time. So, you know, thank you, Maltese woman, angry Maltese woman. Thank you, wherever you are now, you made my absolute life. Anyway, that in no way illuminates the listeners into what you think is the good idea. I just thought about it, just 
I just play it in my head, the tomato and the onion. And like it was ratatouille. Like well, it was yeah, something. It was, was kind of like was salsa or ratatouille or something. And it's the best thing that ever happened to me. Yeah, it wasn't the best thing that ever happened to me. No, like, I know. That's especially because you enjoyed it so much, it made me hate it. You were just more. in the middle. It was mid argument. Random. Splat on its head. Maltese housewife. It was like if it was in a movie, you would have said it couldn't happen. But it did. It happened to me. It happened to me. It happened to me. It happened to me. Just sometimes the dream that you dare to dream really can come true. Okay, Sarah. Now, you tell us what the positives are of lockdown. So, well, I mean, like, obviously, like it's... Or house arrest, as it's called in the rest of the world. <sighs> okay. You know, when you get single, <laughs> I think you should go on a date with Gemma. Gem O D. Oh, do you think so? Yeah, I think really? that your tinfoil hat wearing nonsense would fit right in. Oh yeah, you see, you just cast an aspersion now. I'm providing made, you with science. Match made totally heaven. Amazing. You can guarantee the public will throw fruit and veg at you. Well, yeah. well, they'll, they'll, they'll be wrong. You know, they'll be wrong. They're anyway, the benefits of the lockdown, I think, because well, I'm just trying to put a positive spin on a tough situation, is that you got to spend an, a lot of time with your kids, which you don't yeah. normally get. <clears> that was true. really nice and. We have two little boys and one of them started to walk while we were here and, um, you know, you got to really, like, spend a lot of time with Ryan and he was delighted to have you home. He finally cleared out the shed and your wardrobe after five years of asking. I actually cleaned the shed, folks. I've got, a, like, a pretty big shed and it, you literally could not get in the door. It was absolutely jammed with all kinds of rubbish. And it had been on my to-do list every Saturday for about five years. I finally got it. It looks immaculate. I have to it's say, I, I am so pleased with that. I go out there sometimes, just stand there and look at it because I'm so pleased with myself. It is it is a beautiful example of what hard work and endeavour can do. And I am the prevaricator, procrastinator extraordinaire. I mean, it's, there, it's maddening. I, I'm it's an maddening. Olympic champion it's of procrastination. Maddening. So to actually finally do something gave me an enormous sense of satisfaction. Well, I think it helped that at the start of the lockdown, I was like, if we're locked in this house for five weeks and you don't do those two jobs, I'm going to leave you. <laughs> what was the second job? The wardrobe. Oh, yeah, the wardrobe. Yeah, yeah, that was all. That was all. There was a kind of a walk-in wardrobe, folks. All very fancy here. But um, again, it, it was kind of, it, it looked, it was mayhem. I mean, it really was mayhem. Um, Imagine somebody who's... <clears throat> pushing 70 and has never thrown away an item of clothing yeah i needed to i need to do a, a good clear out so I, I cleared out a lot of stuff now in fairness brought it down to the the, the, the clothes bank and you know did my did yeah. my duty there's a lot of geography teachers out there who'll be getting their money's worth from oxfam for the next there's a lot of jeans that i finally have given up on you know anyway. no, i'm not getting into a 32 inch hip anymore it's just not going to happen you're lovely yeah um, She's I, fattening me. She's I, a feeder, folks. I cooked loads of new recipes. I planted two vegetable patches, so we have lettuce and kale and radishes and all kinds of stuff. Mm. I bought a heat map and a grow light on Amazon, and I'm growing. She's growing basil. cannabis. She's growing <laughs> cannabis. She's growing cannabis in the utility room. If you're an actual, if you're an actual dedicated listener to our podcast, you'll know that Keith is the more likely one to be growing cannabis because of his rabid, rabid obsession with legalizing drugs. It's me, nothing, not so much. Not the government's business. Anyway, blah 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 anyway um, I'm studying for a law degree so I've been studying that's true like a maniac exams start next week I um, well, we did loads of arts and crafts with the kids made cakes made different things I watched a lot of Blippi 
Yeah, you watched a lot of Blippi. Watched a lot of Blippi. Um, we, what is the other things that I... It's a kids TV personality, I, folks, by I the way. I cleared out the, the hot you press and organised. And for the first time since I became a mother, there was a brief moment there about three weeks ago where I had no laundry. Yeah, that was impressive. Sweet spot. There's loads um, now. And yeah, we just got to hang out and we were tired. Like there was loads of... We had and also, of, we, we had drank a lot of, of wine. We had lots of stress. Drank a lot of wine. Which was a great thing, you know. Every day was Saturday. All of a sudden. Oh, we mastered the margarita. Yeah, mastered the margarita, and um, and also the um, aperol spritz. Oh, that was lovely. Yeah, look, look, Google that and mastered that. I have one of them tomorrow. Um. So yeah. Um. No, we did stuff, and we were tired when this all started. We'd had a very stressful few months for reasons yeah. we won't go into, and very stressful. we, you know. Got loads of sleep and rested and went for walks and it was Re- nice. Recharged the batteries, yeah. yeah. But oh, so it was a gift. I know, <laughs> don't start going on a rant about how you want it to be over. Fine, we get that. No, but no, the, but it was good my, for you and you got to spend time with the kids. Yeah, no, no, you've heard my rant on that. I, I'm happy enough now. I, I think it was good. Um, it was a once, literally in a once in a lifetime situation where not only were we off for virtually two months, Everybody, the whole country was off for virtually two months. It can never happen again. It will never happen again. It was such a peculiar thing. People will talk about it for decades to come. Except when you're proved wrong in September and there's a massive second wave. Listen, when I'm proved right next month when all this nonsense is over. But anyway, so... If you're proved right next month, I will literally pay that Maltese woman to come over here and toss a bucket of ratatouille into your face. If you find her, I will beat her. (laughs) I will beat that woman. Because it was gender-based violence that she inflicted upon Uh. me. Like, and it could have got on me, but it didn't. No, it wouldn't have got on you. She aimed. That was an aim. Do you think? Don't just we don't shoot. even know for sure it was a woman. This is like presume. a movie about some Dickensian London thing where people are chucking their sewerage out the window. This was a woman who got her dinner, heard the ranting and raving from you below, looked down, or, saw First of all, me, I was not ranting and, 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 and She knew I was aimed right. Aimed at me. Aimed at me. She knew nothing. She knew I was right. She, she just knew by looking at you that you were right. You don't even speak Malteser. How would you know that you're right? <laughs> anyway... Yes, the lockdown, there's positives to the lockdown and there's a pace of life that was nice and, you know, we did have margaritas at like four o'clock one day but apart from that, it was nice and we got to spend time with the boys and true. you don't normally get that. So, that, that is true. We had, so we've had, a, we've had a, my opinion on why we should end the lockdown. We've had Sarah's opinion on why the lockdown was wonderful. And now we should move on to the post-lockdown government. The government we're about to be inflicted upon. So, Fianna Fáil and Fine Gael, as you well know, folks, have been uh, hunting around for um, a kind of a, a threesome buddy, and they think they've found one in the Green Party who are doing a bit of will, will I won't I for a while, but now they're they seem to be firmly in the camp that they're going into government. Um, the poll came out as a result of all these negotiations. A poll, a recent poll, came out. Showing Leo on Fine Gael on thirty five percent, showing Fianna Fall on fourteen percent. Now this would lead me to believe that the lockdown and the whole uh, COVID thing has obviously been very good for Leo and Fine Gael, and it's been awful for Fianna Fall. And the notion that Fianna Fall are going back into government has again proved to be an awful thing for. Fianna Fáil, the polls are not, not doing too... What, what's your feeling on this, Sarah? Is it just the end, finally, finally, the end of the Soldiers of Destiny? That's never going to happen. 
Like nobody believes that, do they? It's fourteen percent, sir. Oh, like don't get me wrong. Like I haven't seen fourteen percent since my past maths leaving cert mock exam. But like, <laughs> yeah, but it, I think the last time they were on that was literally just after the crash, wasn't it? It was yeah, like it's one percent more. Um, I think it was like January two thousand and eleven. Why was... are Fianna Fáil at such a low poll rating? What is it? First of all, they'll never die. So that's silly. Oh, that's just a hope on your part, but like. I hope I know they won't like well, all the voters are rumors dying. of our demise is greatly exaggerated all the voters are dying yeah of COVID-19 maybe maybe that's that, why you maybe want that's to end, it maybe that's why you want to end the lockdown maybe that's it maybe COVID-19 all the people who died were all Fianna Fáil voters sneaky snake <laughs> and you want to lift the quarantine to just get it down to 10% oh, geez, is that what it is that's exactly the nursing homes have been wiped out because of Fianna Fáil voters <laughs> that's what it is you're evil we've worked it out folks. anyway um I think what you're seeing is, you know, Leo and Simons are doing a pretty good job. Um, they didn't get everything right, but it's a pandemic and nobody does. And you can't sit around in the, these kind of situations and wait for all of the information. You act on the information at the time. So overall, so I was people saying, are rallying around the leader in a wartime type thing. Yeah, like I think no, I think that they genuinely have done a good job. Like I'm not going to be. No, I right. think I'm quite fair in that, like. I'm critical of Fianna Fáil when the criticism is due. I'm critical of Fianna Gael when criticism is due. I think I, but I'm also give credit where it's due. And I think Leo's done a good job. I think Simon Harris has done a good job. I think Simon Coveney has done a good job. I think they've all got, I, I think it's been cohesive. Right. I think it's been a good job. I agree. So I think that the percentages there are going up. The problem is, and the worrying thing is, that what seems, it's the second poll in a row that Fianna Fáil are down. And what seems to be emerging is a two-horse race in this country po- politically going forward between, you know, the the white the night walkers and the whatever, and it's <laughs> um, Fianna Gael versus Sinn Féin. You see, ideologically, they are different, Sinn Féin and Fianna, Fianna Gael, and that is distinct because Fianna Fáil are, have always been the party of every man, so they don't really have an ideology, and, and under Hall they're going a bit centre left anyway yeah, but so under they're chasing Sinn Féin I would say under Hall it's not the party of every man under Hall it's not the party for people who are pro-life it's mm. not the party for people who are more conservative it's not the party for every, for the people who don't agree with everything that Hall wants the party to be and that's the problem and, mm. and, and, and consequently what's ended up happening now is not only are the voters disinterested because really what the voters want is they want their politics to match their ideology they want to feel like they're on some a part of something not whatever you're having yourself but what, what about the and what about what, the narrative that Fine Gael would love another election now and the last thing they want is to be on a government with unpopular Fianna Fáil and the Looney Greens and they're on 35% and so they're kind of crossing their fingers hoping that these these negotiations with government actually just collapse so if I was if I was if I thought that you know there was some kind of Machiavelli running Fine Gael headquarters and I absolutely do not but if the if I thought there was some kind of ingenious Machiavelli there, that that he or she would be trying to scupper these negotiations, no? Well, not being smart, even though I am, sorry, not sorry, uh, I would have every time in the past I have thought to myself, you know, this has to be a Machiavellian Machiavellian. Uh, move on the part of Fine Gael I have been disappointed yeah, yeah. I have never seen Fine Gael do anything <laughs> sly and like for me like you know 
obviously before I with, was with you I, I like I'm a political brat I grew up in a Fianna Fáil family Fianna Fáil Fianna Fáil Fianna Fáil and you definitely are tribal for a while and then as I became an adult I made more and more friends from other parties and whatever and I kind of I would say kind of like became more nuanced in my political views or whatever um but I have never seen Fianna Gael be like Machiavellian about their politics mm. and that like you know like Machiavelli 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 um, probably used Fianna Fáil like politicians as his sort of as his heroes <laughs> like do you know what I mean like but even Fianna Fáil like, aren't Machiavelli anymore no anymore but I'm no. saying when I was growing up like th- that's exactly what would have been going on what would have yeah. been going on if Fianna Fáil were in the position Fianna Gael was we'll, we'll stretch these lads out for as long as possible yeah. we'll get through the crisis we'll get through the summer we'll let Fianna Fáil and, Fianna, uh, and the Greens fucking get in, get themselves get with the, each other up into a frenzy and then at the, at the very end they won't be able to do it and Michal is so blinded by his need to be Taoiseach that he doesn't realise that what we're doing and then by the end we'll say oh oops it all broke down we'll have an election and that'll be in October. Like, and that would be exactly the, what would be going the, on. But if that's it was the else. clever thing to do from Finnegan's point of view here. That's the obvious thing to do. So why on earth would they not be trying to do that? So I think they like somebody. You'd like to think somebody in there is trying to do that because to go in with the Greens who want to reduce greenhouse gas emissions or effectively the economy by seven percent per year per year for five years. It, when you look at what is required for that, having the her, the national herd, um, you know, eliminating a million petrol and diesel cars and the, the road, that only does one year of the seven percent. You know, this is absolutely pie in the sky cracker stuff. But Fianna Fáil and Fianna Gael are playing lip service to the notion that they're going to be able to do this. So it, it really terrifies me. And then also rebuild an economy in the middle of this. Uh, you can't run an economy on lentils and it's I really just don't think that Fianna Fáil or Fianna Gael are going to be able to satisfy the Greens I'm desperately hoping that they won't that the Greens will pull a strop pull out of the negotiations and then Fianna Gael will uh, run another election in the summer I just think that has to be the plan but it's I think Fianna Fáil are onto a hiding if they get in front of the people on 14% yeah but they won't be on 14% I mean some of that's just the situation we're in and then some of it is a worry in terms of the relevance of the party you know like i don't know if i buy like i think pu- the public are smart and i think that people know like okay just let me finish this now before you start mm. interrupting but like i think that people know that things have changed since the election i think they understand that yeah, like it's a new you know election, that like yeah. okay Michal said he wouldn't go in with Fianna Gael but like now it's different I don't think that the reason why Michal is going in with Fianna Gael is because of the situation if that makes sense like yeah. I think people understand it's changed and I think they care less about the fact that they're going in together yeah. than they would have if they'd done it do you know what I'm saying like yeah. I don't think the reason why he's going in with Fianna Gael is because of COVID-19 but I think COVID-19 softens the public enough that they go okay fine whatever yeah, it's convenient like, I don't I think that the outrage that Fianna Fáil would go in with Fianna Gael is very large like it's not fully not fully because I know a lot of people in Fianna Fáil who are pretty upset about the idea but I think it's largely a, a media construct to be honest mm. I think people go look what's the alternative 
And any prudent Fianna Fáil member knows that, you know, what's the alternative? The alternative is what? Like, to go in with Sinn Féin, I think Fianna Fáil loses more support on the ground from doing that than they ever would from going in with Fianna Gael. And, or there's an election and on 14% or 16% or whatever, Fianna Fáil is losing seats. And let's be honest, like, as a, like, and I'm not going to, I'm not going to name any specific constituencies because I like, very much like the people involved, but there's a lots of Fianna Fáil deputies who got fourth seats and not by much. Mm. And so in situations where, you know, there might have been two Fianna Gaelers and a, and a, and a an independent and a Sinn Féinor, or sorry, two Fianna, yeah, started out with two Fianna Gaelers, a Fianna Fáil and, and, a, and an independent, and then it became one Fianna Gael one Sinn Féin, one Fianna Fáil and, independ- and, and, and the independent or people before profit or whatever. Like you could very much see in those situations if there was another election where it's either like two Fianna Gael, two Sinn Féin or two Fianna Gael, one Sinn Féin depending on the constituency and the independent. You know, like obviously personalities come Fianna Fáil gets squeezed But like all. I could see <clears throat> situations there are people who are like people that I very much like, you know, who I paid particular interest to their performance on the day who were counting and counting and counting all that day and sometimes into the next day before they got elected. Mm. That's a worry. If you're going down on that number since the election, those people are not winning their seats. And that's yeah. a big problem. So, yes, you can't go... Like, it, it, it's literally a really, really tough position because I'm not sure, like, from the very beginning, I think I said it on the last podcast, I was always in favour of because of genuinely because of national interests and obviously somewhat become a, because of party interests or of a national government situation where you know and we would have had this all like sorted by now where you have leo remains on simon remains on or whatever there's a one-year thing put together maybe even less there's an election at the end of it you get the best and the brightest from all parties you know or the top four and nobody gets the benefit of what happens and nobody gets the blame yeah, but how do you run a, against somebody then? I mean, where is your where, and where is your opposition? But everybody's in the same <coughs> position. Everybody's in the same position. If Sinn Fein have a couple of people in that, and Fianna Gael do, and Fianna Fáil do, and what everybody's in the same position. But also, you get it all locked up. You get it sorted, and you get the country back, and you get you make decisions and whatever. And then everybody prepares for an election where you lay out your stall, your vision for the future of Ireland, and everybody gets to run a better campaign than they did the last time because Fianna Fáil's was absolutely abysmal, and you go from there. What we're in now is locked into a situation where, like, Fianna Fáil, like, obviously, like you said at the start, like, Fianna Gael have, you know, obviously they secretly want an election because they have an, a good option. Fianna Fáil have no good option. Well, that also brings us down to the negotiation itself because if Fianna Fáil and Fianna Gael go in and they both know what their poll numbers are and each other's, then... The, the negotiating power and leverage that Michal Martin has has been completely evaporated. You know, uh, the notion that he wants to go and face the country again is obviously a joke. Leo will know that and therefore he will be able to put the squeeze on him in the negotiations. And again, he could afford to scupper the negotiations and doesn't really care. Yeah. So it's... um. It's not an enviable position for, for Michal. And all Michal wants is to be Taoiseach, even for like an hour for the day, so, you know, for a good weekend, whatever. <laughs> so, like, I mean, he'll basically give up anything at this stage. The Greens are going to come in. They're going to look for three seats. I think there's 13 in the cabinet, isn't there? And then two super juniors. So, 
The greens are going to look for three, which leaves Fianna Fáil and Fianna Gael off five each. That's not a lot. That there aren't there aren't a lot of seats to to hand around to the boys and girls, you know. No. And uh, like that's a oh, like look, it couldn't it, like it, it genuinely couldn't be going worse for Mihal. Like, mm. I mean, prancing around for that general election, and I know for a fact, like a lot of lot of people like thinking, you know, Mihal's going to be Taoiseach. What minister is this person getting? I'm mm. going to be this job and I'm going to have that job and whatever. And Fianna Fáil lost 14 seats or 14 TDs. Mm. What was the net? Seven? Lost seven seats. like Seven. 14. No, lost 14 TDs, but I think seven repl- were re- oh, replaced seven new ones. by mm. other ones, which which is, and like, I'm not going to get into that now, but that kind of like turnover like that mm. is really indicative of, um, uh, like, even though it seems like, oh, well, seven net or whatever but multiple TDs losing their seats to newbie newbies is always really I think reflective of the fact that even the Fianna Fáil voter is really unhappy with the status quo mm. you know like I'm not going to vote for that guy because I don't like what he's doing but there is a new young Fianna Fáil guy or girl mm. and I'm going to vote for them instead is I'm not happy with the way that Fianna Fáil is, is being run but I, I'm still a Fianna Fáil voter and then obviously there was the seven seats that were lost and like you know multiple constituencies left without a TD at all so it was an abysmal election and frankly you know I remember I was showing you on my phone that I had dinner with a couple of people in the lead up to the general election and we wrote down our predictions because everybody on a notes uh, on the notes app on my phone because everybody always says I said that and they say no you didn't and you did mm. so I didn't expect that the Fianna Fáil um, uh, seats and the Fianna Gael seats would be so low because I didn't predict that the Sinn Féin but I predicted that Fianna Gael and Fianna Fáil would only be one or two seats between them Well, I and mean, I predicted an, that Sinn Féin would be way higher well if there's another election you'd like to you'd like to imagine I'm sure from Fianna Fáil's point of view that the, the gap between Fianna Fáil and Fianna Gael would would narrow in the course of a campaign. So, I mean, obviously, you don't want Fianna Fáil landing on 14% on election day. So, but at the same time, Fine Gael could really harness this thing if they if they come out of it. But they'll have to have a vote very quickly afterwards. This is a, a classic Fine Gael mistake here is, you know, we've done something good for people and they'll remember us on the day in the ballot, in the ballot box. They have this notion that people reward them for doing things in politics. I mean, Enda actually said, if you go into politics for, for thanks, you're in the wrong business. And, and that should have fed into the, 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 the election uh, campaigning for Fine Gael because eating bread is soon forgotten. People never vote for you on the basis of what you did last year or the year before that. They, they vote for you on the basis of tomorrow. Politics is all about tomorrow. And it's all about what will you do for me tomorrow. And like, like, uh, the like, pandemic will be passed and Fine Gael run the risk of going into that election again complacent oh we're 35% in the Sunday business post poll and we did a great job in the pandemic and everybody's going to vote for us and they'll get hammered again but it's like I always say to you like Fine Gael has really good people like you know mm. like really impressive people and there's lots of people that I think in Fine Gael are really good but Fine Gael don't do politics good they're kind of technocrats who just have to go through a democracy and they're not too happy Fianna about it. Fianna used to. And then, mm. like, basically the party started getting run by Mihal and a bunch of a little cabal of cronies that I don't even know 
who they are all I do but whatever so you need the second hand car salesman to come back again but there is a there is a there's a kind of an elegance in the you know the PJ Mara and spin and you know when you don't realise it's spin and good slogans and good campaigning and capturing the imagination of people and there's a kind of a there's an art form there and I don't know if either party have it anymore and you know what the thing that annoys me and I had to say it to somebody on the phone just today and again don't jump on me because I'm not saying I like her but when it comes to that and when it comes to who's the best Mary Lou is the best Mary Lou is better than Nihon mm. she's better yeah, she can certainly harness that kills the, me that kills me but she is better but she can certainly harness the populist mood better and she can I mean and she can you know she touches a she touches a kind of a zeitgeist that Michal can't get anywhere near but She's, I don't think that that I, I, the thing is that I think that that used to be the truth but I think now you know like you know that scene in um, Outbreak when they realise that the virus is airborne because they look up at the vent and your man has gotten sick in a separate room. He's like, it's gone airborne. She's gone mainstream. You know? <laughs> yeah, yeah, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. She, she, when she was on the Late Late Show a couple of weeks ago talking about her COVID-19 experience and all that, like I was just looking at her and I was like, she's smart, she's likeable, she's good, she's, she has broadened, well, nobody was paying attention. When me, while Michal was ringing up the Irish Times asking him what they wanted Fianna Fáil to be next week so he could get it in line. Mary Lou started to broaden her appeal base. And that's what this is. It's it's not, I know what people want to think. People want to think, oh my God, Sinn Féin did really well because loads of these look young ruffians came out and voted for them in the last election. No, no. She has started to capture the imagination of people. It's a really big problem. Mm. Well, she has a narrative and she has something to say. I mean, she has an alternative way of, of, of kind of, an alternative offer. Um, Fianna Fáil and Fianna Gael, even in the teeth of a pandemic where everything has changed and there's a blank page there that once again, I never thought I would ever see the day. After the first crash, there was a blank page sitting on the Taoiseach's desk and the Kenny. He could have done anything and people would have been amenable to it. I never thought I'd see that day again. But I kind of think we have another blank page moment. Fianna Fáil and Fianna Gael have the option to be very transformative. And yet they have very little ambition if, if what we can see from their proposed programme for government is. The only ambition is going to be painted into the agreement by the Greens. And that ambition is to basically degrowth the, the economy and denude it and you know turn us all into fucking horse and cart merchants. So, yeah, that document was abysmal. Oh, and it took like six months. When I worked in Deloitte, like in consulting. But the shinners don't report, have that. The shinners have their you own. You probably would get about, like you'd probably be allowed to have about three hours to write a report like that. And it'd right. be better and more robust. And that took, what, a month? I know. It's shocking. Uh, like, and I don't know. I mean, I think like there's been elements to the Fine Gael thing that have made mistakes or whatever. But I think like Simon Harris not knowing about how many COVIDs, you know, COVID-19 seriously many covers does it take to change a light bulb yeah that kind of stuff yeah uh, that was pretty cringe-tastic but on the other hand like Nihal and, and um, Stephen Donnelly coming out to the plinth to talk about COVID-19 looking like two boys who are coming to tell the principal that some other boy stole their ball like <laughs> I just like cringe I can't 
I can't. It's just not slick. Oh, no. And it needs to be. And something needs to change really fast. Or if there's another election, it's bad news. But also, I'm of the mind at the moment that if there's another election or not, even if Hall manages to pull together a government with Fianna Gael or whatever, you're kicking the inevitable football down the down the street. And um, your hockeying will come later. Yeah. I just don't well, see where... I suppose we'll, we'll wait and see what happens over the next week or two as the negotiations persist. But if Fine Gael do manage to... to, to to scupper these negotiations in some Machiavellian way, I will take it all back, and I will say there are, there are geniuses in Finnegal headquarters, but I'm not hopeful. Um, but if they're if they're to scupper it, they need to also have an election fairly quickly. Um, from Fianna Fáil's point of view, I do dearly wish you well that poor Amiha will get his wish and get to be Taoiseach for the day. Um, but will he be first or will he be second? Who knows? We'll have to wait and see. Second, I mean, even the idea of the rotating Taoiseach. Yeah, it's ridiculous. It's so stupid. Yeah. And like, you know, Leo's the leader of the day. Until this is done, he should be left there. I don't know, like, the optics of me all walking out and being like, oh, I'm the boss, is cringe. Like, it's a yeah, long time. It reminds it's a long, me It's a long time. Like, I, I don't remember ever in adult living memory being so embarrassed by politics. Like, did it change or did I change? Like, have I become more cynical? Because I see, like, and it's not, it's not just, it's all parties. Like, I just see people and I'm cringing. Like. Well, I mean, I, you won't get this reference at all, but other people will. But me all attempting to be Taoiseach reminds you of Stephen Staunton's tenure as the Ireland manager when he came out. He'd never managed anything. And uh, he came out and he was being chaperoned by Bobby Robson, who was this saged, old... Uh, English manager done it all managed Barcelona the England team and he was in the, the winter of his life and he was supposed to be the uh, the, the experience the, the experience guy was going to you know and Steve Staunton came out at this press conference and said I'm the gaffer I'm the boss and <laughs> he clearly was not and Michal just reminds me of that so desperate to be the manager that he's willing to just you know kind of allow Leo to sit in the in the background and say He's a good boy. He's a good boy. You know, it's so patronising, and it's just going to look terrible for him if that happens. But we'll wait and see. So next week, anyway, we'll fill you in on our opinions of what's happening in the negotiation. Um, I will be even more enraged, screaming the blue murder if they have not seen fucking sense and released the country. I mean, but like you need to get a grip now. You're, squeal a mock. They're not going winter. to. Okay. Seriously, what? don't try and speak Irish. They're not going to have lifted the lockdown in a week. I need you to come come to terms with that. They said so they'll accelerate it so if you, things look good. Okay, but it's it's not going to change in a week. Oh, okay? I should do. There's so no you way. need to like not stop getting your panties in a wad oh, now. Right. About like I can't live with you if you're going to be getting yourself. I'm pulling out my healthcare card, my healthcare worker card, and right, go on. I'm just that's it. Go on, I'm and I pal. hope Ratatouille lady gets you again. So this is the vindictiveness. If I was to say this now, folks, you see, this would be considered bullying. You know, I mean, this is this is the way. There's the double standard now that goes on in, in in this in this world, as you all well know. It's not bullying. It was the best moment of my life, and I'm allowed to relive it as many times as I want. Gender-based violence. It was. Anyway, folks, we're going to wrap it up there, and we've loved having you along. Um, if you want to comment on what we speak about, do contact us on Twitter 
and uh, if you have any ideas for what you'd like us to speak about we would love to hear from you uh, you can catch Sarah at, uh, at Sarah Cat Ryan you can catch me at uh, CLLR K Redmond Cancer Keep Redmond the cat is for Catherine Sarah Catherine not because I have a weird love of cats Sarah Cat um, okay so say goodbye Sarah bye bye Sarah okay bye bye folks bye. see ya